Y'all doing all right tonight? You're doing good? I'm getting some hands in the back. One person's doing good. Hey, well, again, welcome to Elevation. I'm really glad you're here. I'll sit. I, I can sit for about one minute, and then I get excited. So here you go. Um, one thing I want to say before we get in the Word is this. Last week, we had uh, this thing called Life Group and Serve Launch. Was anyone here last week, Life Group Launch? You have fun? Come on. And why I want to bring that back up is it's is arguably the, one of the most important nights of the year for us. And so we'll say it a lot. That the vision and mission of Elevation is to find your place. We say that a lot. You'll hear me say it a lot. We want you to find your place in three things, in, in, your, in Christ, your relationship with Jesus, biblical community, and the church, the local church. And so last night, or last week was a, a, a week dedicated to that. And so I just want to tell you, we're starting serve groups. We're starting life groups this week. So if you didn't get to sign up last week, or you're, you're curious, or maybe you're a guest, and you're like, man, I don't know what that means, but I want to get involved somehow. We have an amazing, amazing connect team that will be out in the foyer. They'll be at the Welcome Center. You can come talk to me or any of our leaders. We want to get y'all connected because we love a Thursday night service. I love the large gathering. I love worshiping, getting in the word. But man, true discipleship happens in homes. True discipleship happens on a team or in a group when you're serving other people. And we, I know this can be a big ministry at times, and we, we, we're not mad at God for that. We're thankful that we're growing together as a body of Christ, but we just want you to have true relationships, and that happens in smaller groups. Can I get an amen? So I just have to make reference to that because it's important. But for this week, uh, I'm really excited. We're going to start a new series called Christian Atheist, and I, I can't take, we're going to do it for three weeks. I can't take credit for it because it's actually one of my mentors. I say mentor, I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, you have mentors that you don't know, but it's actually a pastor in Oklahoma City. Uh, his name is Craig Rochelle, if anyone's ever heard of him. It's Life Church, and he wrote a book called Christian Atheist. They did a sermon series called Christian Atheist, so I don't want y'all to think, wow, Amir, this is a really cool, I didn't make it up. Uh, scripture says nothing's new under the sun, so hello, but um, I, we're just kind of taking it, and, and I kind of made it my own for you guys, because when I listen to this message, because he's a pastor I listen to on podcast, it kind of rocked my world, to be honest, and I had to listen to it again, and then I thought, man, this would be great for Elevation, and so we're going to do three weeks of that, but you might ask yourself, okay, I mean, what's a Christian atheist? What does that even mean? What does that word even mean? Well, we can look at, well, what's an atheist? An atheist is simply someone who doesn't believe in God. And that's okay. So if someone doesn't believe in God, they probably live as if he doesn't exist, right? And don't get me wrong, I have, I have best friends at home in Oklahoma. I have friends in here in Conway they are atheists. So I'm not here slamming people that don't believe in God. They're the ones we're praying for. They're the ones we're hoping that would come to make a decision for Christ one day. Can I get an amen for that? Because we want them to know the truth. And so God came to love, not to shake his finger at people. That's what we believe too. So some of my best friends are atheists back home, and I'm still praying for them. But so you're like, okay, Amir, what's a Christian atheist? Well, a Christian atheist is simply this. We'll put it on the screens. It's, it's someone who believes in God but lives as if he doesn't exist, if you're taking notes. So someone who believes in God, you say, I'm a Christian, Amir, I believe in God, but you live or we live as if he doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's challenging, it's powerful. That's a Christian atheist, and this is what Pastor Craig said. I, I'm not making these words, but we're definitely gonna speak this message. So we're gonna do it for three weeks. I'm gonna speak tonight. My buddy Seth, who, who's on part-time staff, he's the leader of our serve team, one of them, he's gonna speak next week. And he's going to talk about believing God but not trusting him fully. So we say, oh, God, I, I trust you in these areas, but I don't know about over here. I trust you over here, but it's kind of circumstantial Christianity. And then the third week, I'm going to talk about believing in God but not fearing him. Because sometimes we hear that phrase, especially as young adults, and we're like, what does that even mean? Am I supposed to be scared of God or do I fear him? It, so I want to explain that because I have a heart to equip you guys for things in young adulthood that I don't know when you would have learned in high school or middle school. And I, I believe as Elevation, we have that mandate. So I want to talk about the fear of God. But that's in three weeks. For tonight, 
We're going to talk about kind of the idea of when we believe in God, but it's kind of challenging to say we don't want to go overboard. We don't want to be too much. I don't want to be so spiritual. I don't want to be like those one Christians I see. I don't want to be overboard. I mean, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't want to be too crazy. And I'll be honest, this is going to be the most challenging of all three. And so I'm just asking you, I've been praying this all week. I've been praying hard for you all today. I just ask that you have an open heart. Because we're just going to go into the Word of God. It's not going to be my thoughts or my opinions. We're going to look at what the Word says. We're going to look at what Jesus said. And we're going to take that and apply it to our lives, right? But it's going to challenge y'all. I'm just going to warn you now. Because it's wrecked me. I have a burden for y'all because it, it really challenged me. And I've been wrestling with this all day because it's, it challenges me in my life. So the thought, I mean, I don't want to go overboard. I, I've entitled this message, if you're taking notes, Lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity. And we'll, I'll explain where we get that name in a second, lukewarm Christianity. But let's do this, let's pray. We wanna invite the Spirit of God here. I'm gonna pray for another ministry too because we're not the only church around here. We're not the best one. And we love all college and young adult ministries. Let's pray. Hey God, we love you so much. And Lord, we wanna lift up BCM on UCA's campus, God. And Lord, we've just been talking to their ministry, God. And we, we wanna pray for their freshmen, their new students to Conway, Lord, that are coming to their ministry, God. We, we just pray that they'd be connected. Lord, we pray that they would hunger your word and, and they would create a biblical community, God. And I just pray for their pastors and their leaders and even the upperclassmen, God, as they lead these underclassmen. And God, we're just thankful for that ministry. And, and as they meet this week and as they, as they try to disciple men and women of God, Lord, we're thankful for them. We're thankful for what they do the body of Christ. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you be in this place, Lord. We don't wanna have elevation without you. I ask that you'd speak to us. I ask that you'd speak to everyone in this room in only ways that you can. Lord, I pray that you'd use your message that you've helped me write and you'd speak through me and we would learn something to be changed tomorrow for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Can I get it? Amen. Amen. Okay. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Revelation 3, uh, verse 15. That's the last book in the Bible, Revelation, because it's Jesus' revelation. It's not Revelation. Sometimes people put an S on it. It's politically, biblically incorrect, but it's okay. You can pronounce it however you want. It's really okay. Okay. So Revelation 3, 15. And I'm going to give you a little context so you're not completely in the dark. So in, in this chapter of Revelation, and if, if you have a Bible with you, if not, we have it on the screen, no worries. In this chapter of Revelation, Jesus wrote seven letters in seven different churches, right? One letter to each church. And John, the same John in the book of John, the, the apostle John, he recorded these letters, right? And so in six of the seven churches, Jesus says, hey, these are things you're doing well, church, church of Ephesus, church of Philadelphia, where you get the name of the city, Philadelphia. This is what you're doing well, but this is what you're not doing so well. This is how you're missing it. This is how you're far from me. But one of the churches, he has nothing good to say because they're so far from God. They're so caught up in their wealth. They're so caught up in what they have going on and what the world has to say. They don't do anything for God. They kind of have their back turned towards God. So he kind of corrects them the whole letter. And that's the church we're going to look at. The church is called Laodicea. Say Laodicea. I know it's a tongue twister. I'm sorry. So Laodicea, if you're a geography major, <laughs> got your back. So it is in what they used to call Asia Minor, which is the northwestern part of Asia. Now it would be present-day Turkey, okay? All seven of these cities, I had a map, but I forgot to send it. They're all connected by each other, right? But Laodicea is in present-day Turkey, and it was the wealthiest of the seven cities. So it was known for, like, their manufacturing of wool, they had a big, big banking industry, and they also had a medical school. Wrap your mind around that. They had a straight UAMS up in their, in their city 2,000 years ago. That's crazy. And so they're really wealthy, though. And so what's crazy about the city is there was an earthquake that hit about 35 years. You can Google this before this letter was written. And so it was ruined. Their whole city was ruined. But because they were so wealthy, they just rebuilt it, and they rebuilt it bigger and better than ever. 
They rebuilt it with like these huge, huge parks and these huge theaters. Imagine back then like these theater rooms and like these coliseums like you see on, on Gladiator, like all this crazy stuff. And public ba bathing was cool back then. Weird. <laughs> imagine that now. Don't imagine it. It's bad. Uh, it was cool back then. And so they had like these very lavish, very beautiful marble public bathrooms and stuff because they're so wealthy. So it's almost like if you've ever been to Vegas or if you've ever flown over Vegas, you're just like in this dirt and then you drive up to the city with all these lights and you're like, what the crap's going on? And it's like, yeah, Vegas, spend your money, it's crazy. You know, so YOLO, here we are. So that's kind of Laodicea back in the day. But you gotta imagine the time it was in. So they were extremely wealthy, right? And so this is what Jesus, he's talking to them and we're gonna pick up in verse 15 of chapter three. Let me grab my Bible, it's a little heavy. I like the word, it's fun. And this is what scripture says. Jesus says, I know you're, say with me, deeds. I know you're what? Deeds. We'll get to that. That you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are, what does that say? Lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What, Jesus? Spitting on people? Well, it's gone a whole new leather. He, he flipped a table in a temple once, but now he's spitting us out of his mouth. That's crazy. Verse 17, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, coming strong with the correction. Some of this, he's more talking to the heart than the literal. People aren't just walking around naked, so don't wrap your mind around that either. Verse 20, we're going to skip a couple, but this is the coolest part of this all. So he's like correcting them, and this is what he says. He's, he sends them an open invitation of verse 20. He says, but here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. So Jesus makes this promise. After he corrects them, he says, but hey, here I am. And I'm knocking on your door. And all you have to do, if you hear my voice, if you hear the knock, all you have to do is open the door. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with you. We're going to grow up and we're going to be reconnected again. So there's always hope. So to get this, Jesus is correcting out of love. The word rebuke, if you ever read that in scripture, it's a loving correction. He's not just bashing people just to bash. He's trying to draw them back to him. But at the end of it, he always leaves with hope. Hey, I'm right here and I'm knocking. And I just want you to open the door and spend some time with me. And the cool thing about this is why I made you repeat the beginning. He says, I know your deeds. He doesn't say, I know your sayings or I know what you've been talking about. He says, I know your deeds, meaning I know how you live your life because your deeds are showing how you live. So if you're taking notes, I had just this thought. I want you to write it down. I want you to write down. How we live reflects the true reality of what we believe. Not what we say, not what we post, not what we want to say, but how we live reflects the true reality of what we believe. Words do have power. Jesus spoke things in existence. But when our words don't match our lifestyle, it's kind of tough, right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, I see your deeds, and y'all can say all you want, but this is how you act. You act far from you. You act lukewarm. And let me, let me okay, let me give you an example. In that, in that first verse, he says, I know your deeds, neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were one or the other. How many of y'all, where are my coffee drinkers in the house? Oh, my God. Christian drug, baby. Let's go. How many of y'all like your coffee hot? Come on, PSL, pumpkin spice. Got to get us out. How many of y'all like your coffee iced? Especially in the summer. Come on, somebody. Double shot. Let's do it. How many of y'all like your coffee that's been sitting for five hours? Oh, someone goes, ooh. <laughs> it's gross. Yeah, your warm, hot coffee that's now really, really lukewarm or your iced coffee that's melted and it has a weird flavor and then you, you try drinking it and you get like all the syrup and you want to throw up on someone? Lukewarm. 
act like that hasn't happened to you. It happened to me. I'm like, well, it's bad. Um, that's, what he's, that's kind of an example he's talking about. So what's crazy about Laodicea is when they had this earthquake, so everything got wrecked, right? It's an earthquake. Well, they were trying to get water. In that city, they didn't have the best water supply. So the, the city to the right, they had a hot water supply, almost like hot springs in the state of Arkansas. And then the city on the left, they had a cold water supply. So since they were so wealthy, they built pipes underground. Imagine this again. 1,800 years ago, they're building pipes underground to get water shipped in to, to their city. So if you wanted hot water, you got hot water. If you wanted cold water, you want cold water. But it's got to move fast through the pipes or you're going to lose the temperature, just like it would now. But this is a long time ago. Well, when they used to have, like, religious festivals, when they, when they would, have, like, party for God, back then they didn't have this guy named Jesus. So when they wanted to get right with God, they would sacrifice something. Kind of crazy. We're thankful for Jesus now. But before these religious ceremonies, they would drink. Like, they would prepare their heart for the sacrifice. And so, that, so if you were wealthy or popular or a nobleman or, or, or a priest or anything like that, you would get to drink first. So because these are traveling by pipe and because you get to drink first, you would get the hot water if it was hot. You would get the cold water if it was cold. But if you're just a normal person, just a normal person like us, or, or maybe you were poor or, or maybe you weren't involved in the city council, whatever it is, you would be in the back of the line. And you would get the water after everyone else. And guess what the temperature of the water would be? It would be lukewarm every time. And you'd kind of be dishonored by the people in power, by the people that are wealthy, because they're saying, no, 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 you got to get in the back of the line. You can't have the same water as this. And that's what Jesus is kind of saying. The way you live your life, you're dishonoring me because you just, you, I'm just in the back of the line in your life. I, you just live this comfortable life. You just live this complacent life. You live this lukewarm life. And that's not what I want for you. That's not why I die for you. That's, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be connected with you. I want everything for you, but you just want to live this lukewarm life. And so Jesus is challenged by this. And so if you look at verse 16, what we just read, he says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, he said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What the heck does that mean? Well, spit in the Greek means spit. You're welcome. We're going deep today, guys. So watch out. You might want to get your thesaurus out. It's getting crazy. Um, it's actually the only time in the Bible Jesus says, I'm going to spit in any way. But if you look more in the definition, it means to vomit reject with extreme disgust or be repulsed. How many of y'all have ever drank spoiled milk? <laughs> Someone goes, ooh. What happens when you drink spoiled milk? Do you swallow it? No, it comes out. You know what I'm saying? It comes out your ear. It comes out your nose. And you're like, this is the worst day of my life. And you hate it. And milk was a bad choice. It's a little Ron Burgundy for you. Hey, I was asking someone yesterday, is anyone having a rot, has anyone ever had a rotten sunflower seed? You're like in the bag and you're just having a good time. Maybe it's the baseball bros, the athletes. And then you have one, you're like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing. And it's like cooked somehow. And it's like not even a seed. It's just like the stem and you hate your life. Rotten eggs. You ever had rotten eggs? Or how about this? Some, no, I'm sorry. You got to make the scripture come alive, guys. Some of y'all are texture people. Where are my texture people? Come on. And you put something in your mouth of texture and you're like, this is the worst day of my life. And you're done. You're done. I'm not trying to be dry. I know y'all because I'm like, it's a sucker. I hate suckers. Because the texture on the mixture on my tongue. Okay, okay, you don't have to eat the sucker. It's okay. The same way, you just said it. Our body rejects it. it. It can't take it. Our body responds. We gag. We spit things out. And this is what Jesus said. He says, when you don't show passion towards me, when you're complacent, when you're super comfortable, when you just do whatever you want, it's almost like I can't take it. I can't stomach it. I, it, like, it like drives me nuts. Not in about, I just, I can't even imagine how much I love you and you don't even want to spend time with me. You just want to be comfortable. And so it's almost like Jesus is shocked. So when he says spit, it's not to disrespect you. He's just, he's mind blown. And so the, the thought comes of an oxymoron. If y'all know what an oxymoron is, it, it's just that simply when you take two different words and you put them together. An oxymoron. Let me give you some examples. Act naturally. 
That make any sense. Hey, act natural. You're like, oh, okay. I don't know what I'm doing. Great. Tight slacks. I want to say skinny jeans, but I might offend some of y'all, so we won't go there. Uh, dry ice. Good grief. Southerners, y'all say that. Good grief. This has been a hot day outside. It's summertime. What did you just say? It's two different things. Airline food. Come on, somebody. It's bad. It's not food. It's like in a box, and you know, no one knows. Walking dead. It's a show. I just tricked. Some of y'all are like zombies, and it's freaking weird. Okay, so Walking Dead. Microsoft works. Come on, somebody. If I get the air screen one more time, no, I don't want to sit in the airport. I want to write my stinking paper because I'm about to throw the computer out the door if you don't stop. Microsoft doesn't work. But I, Oxymorons, right? You with me? But maybe the, the most challenging oxymoron ever is a lukewarm Christian, is a lukewarm follower of Christ is a lukewarm disciple of Jesus, a lukewarm. What are you, Amir? Oh, I'm just a lukewarm Christian. Wow. It's just super challenging to hear. And so we might ask ourselves, okay, Amir, what's a, what does that mean? What does it take to be a lukewarm Christian? I understand the scripture, but how does this apply to me? Well, I think we can give 100 reasons or 100 qualities of a, of a lukewarm Christian. Based off this book and the sermon series I listened to and my experience as a pastor, I'm going to give you a list of seven, Right? And I'm going to go through them pretty fast. They'll be on the screen. But I'm going to give you seven qualities of a lukewarm Christian so we can identify it. And when I'm going through these seven qualities, you're probably going to think, man, I know somebody who has some of these qualities. Someone in my family, someone in my friend group, someone at my work, or maybe the person right next to me. Oh, don't point at him. Ooh, let's get bad. Just kidding. Some of y'all, if you're honest, you would say, man, I, I identify with some of these. I, I've been lukewarm. Hey, and, and let me tell you this, and if you're new, I, I always say this. I'm not telling you these things to, to, to bash you. I, I didn't grow up in church, but I hear about some churches that come, you're going to hell, you're a blah, lukewarm Christian. I'm not that pastor. That's weird, man. I've struggled with this stuff. I can be a lukewarm Christian at times. I'm really good at identifying these because I've been a lukewarm Christian a lot of the times in my life. And so if you feel challenged by the same point, just know that I'm just trying to strategize with you. I'm trying to be your pastor. I'm trying to coach you to know, man, if we can identify qualities of lukewarm Christian, we can avoid it and stay really hot for God. Can I get an amen? That's why we're talking about this, okay? So number one, if you're taking notes, we're going to go fast. Lukewarm Christian. A lukewarm Christian craves acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. A lukewarm Christian craves acceptance from people, acceptance from man, more than acceptance from God. Scripture, Galatians 1.10, Paul's talking. He says, am I, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? He's like confused, looking around at people. Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's just like perplexed. He's looking at people and he's like, are we trying to please God or are we trying to please people? Because I don't understand what's going on here. And this is crazy, guys. We live in like a selfie, no pun intended, center generation. We, ask these, we have these questions like, do they approve of me? Do they like my picture? Do they retweet this? I know some people, and I'm not going to call it, maybe not in this room, that will delete Instagram posts if they don't have a certain number of likes in the first five minutes. You think, I'm not making this up. High school students, I've heard this. Because they're so consumed of what people think. They're so consumed about the acceptance of others. Do you like my outfit? Is my home cute? Do you like the decorations? Did you like the engagement? Did you think we proposed the right way? Was it cute enough for you? Or here's another perspective. Like we think, man, I just want people to approve of me, which is not a bad thought. I want to fit in. But if, 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 I don't approve, if I don't get your approval, I don't fit in, I'll change my morals. No, it's okay. I'll change just so you'll su support me, just so you'll, I can fit into this group, just so I can be accepted. 
That's what happens in our age group. That's what happens in our generation. We, we see a trend and, I, okay, I, I don't really do that. I don't really live like that, but everyone's doing it, so I can just do it because then maybe I'll fit in more. And it's just reinforcing thoughts. Man, we're living for the acceptance of other people, not for God. And, and Paul's saying, hey, you got to beware of this, especially in our age, especially in our generation, especially with technology. You're not living for other people. You're living for the king. You're living for the God who created you. And a lukewarm Christian craves the approval of people more than the approval of God. Number two, I told you we're going to go fast. A lukewarm Christian rarely shares their faith in Christ. Rarely shares their faith in Christ. Rarely shares the goodness of God, the things that God's doing in their life, the way that God's shaped them and encouraged them and helped them. And any times they rarely share it. Why? Well, a lot of reasons. We say, man, we don't want to be weird. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to push our thoughts on the other people. Man, they're not really Christian, so I'm not sure if I should share that. But this is the kicker, guys. This is, and this is what Pastor Craig talks about in his book. It's like, if we really believed, myself included, if we really believed in the gospel, if we really believed that the story of Jesus transformed lives, we would ask God for strength every day to go tell everyone. We go tell our friends. We go tell our family. We go tell our classmates. We go tell our teammates. We go tell our coworkers. We wouldn't shut up about it. And I'm not talking about going and knocking on doors and being weird and saying, here's a pamphlet, welcome to Jesus. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking anytime God gives us opportunities every day to share stuff about him, and we would do it, and we'd be excited about it because we believe the gospel changed lives. But do we do it? Most of the time, no, because we're intimidated, or we don't know, we don't want to be weird, and all God wants to do is just like, I just want you to share who I am and what I've done for you, let alone what you're learning in my word, but lukewarm Christian rarely shares their faith. Number three, lukewarm Christian rationalize their sins. Lukewarm Christian rationalize their sins. We live in a culture that literally renames, guys, rebrands sin. So, so it's, it was called adultery in the word of God, but now we call it an affair. That's a lot nicer, right? It was just an affair. He just committed an affair and they got a divorce. No big deal. Or it was, it's called pornography, but now we call it adult entertainment. That's all it is, is adult entertainment. The covenant of marriage that God made, you can watch it at any time and what people are doing. It's just adult entertainment. You just got to be old enough. Or it used to be called pride, but now it's just expressing yourself, sharing with people how you believe. And it doesn't matter if it lines up with this book. You just got to stand up for what you believe, and it can be anything. That's not pride. That's just standing up for what you believe. And I'm not saying, guys, there's good things we all believe. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that are far from God, things that are far from God's world. Word. Because we, we say these things like, man, well, it's not as bad as so-and-so. I mean, Amir, it's my life. I can do whatever I want. Why are you worried about what I'm struggling with? Or this is just the way I am. I've always struggled with this. It's always going to be like this, so I'm going to rationalize. It's not hurting anyone else. So what happens is we rationalize sins. We're deceived by the enemy. We're separated from God, what we've been talking about the past couple weeks, and we think it's okay because we rationalize them. Number four, lukewarm Christian thinks more about life on earth than eternity in heaven. More about life on earth than eternity in heaven. We're consumed with earth, what's going on here, the things of the earth, the material things, and what's going on, then eternity. God promises a home, eternity in heaven. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 and 15 says this. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to the home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. So if you're a believer in Jesus, guys, this is not your home. 
Not that you can enjoy life on earth, not that you can't have a great family and great friends, stuff like that, but we get so caught up in the world. We watch the news and we get freaked out. We hear about these things that are going to happen. We get freaked out. There's crazy things going on. and It's like we're circumstantial on what the world's going on. And God's saying, this is not your home. I haven't called you out of darkness so that you enjoy here. This eternity is the best place ever. And you're just here for a time being that you're going to do my work and my will. But why are you so caught up in the things of this world? This is not your home. But it's just like, man, I, I'd rather live till I was 110 and poop my pants and wear diapers than go to heaven. I don't want to die. We don't want to die. It's too scary to die. And it's like, whoa, let's, let's take a chill. But it's just things. We get consumed in things. And I want these things. And I don't have these things. And I hope to have these things. And we forget about the God who created everything. That's what we forget about. He said, oh, I created those things for you. I created this life for you. I created that job for you. I created these opportunities for you. But you're so consumed in the things, you forgot who gave you the things. He's a lukewarm Christian, more consumed with this world than the eternity to come. Number five, I know this is tough. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. Lukewarm Christians only turn to God when they need something. Only turn to God when they need something. So, yeah, God, I'll, I'll pray or I'll ask you for things when I need something. But when things are going good, I'm okay. Work's going good, family's going good, school's going good, finances are going good, weather's beautiful, hello. I'm okay, God. But then, uh-oh, someone goes to the hospital. So we get our, our, our God tool and we say, God, I, I need help. They're in the hospital. They're not feeling well. Jesus, please come. Will you heal them? Be with the surgeons. And then they're great. Okay, God, we're good again. Thanks. See ya. See you later. Or we're having trouble in our family, or if you're dating someone, or if you're married, or you have children, we're having trouble there, and it's, God, I need your help, man. My, my spouse, my, my boyfriend, my dad is not going well, and then God comes and intervenes, and he restores that relationship, and he heals it, and you're like, this is great. And you're like, okay, God, I'm good. Thanks. That was great. Thank you. Almost like he's a genie in a lamp, the creator of the universe. We'll just, God, I need your help. Okay, you can go back in there. We're good. And it's just like, God, God's just like, no, no, I just want to be in a relationship with you. There's nothing wrong with calling upon me, but I want to be in this daily relationship with you, talking and walking with you every day. So it's not like you have to call me in an emergency phone call. I'm already right here hanging out with you. You don't have to look up this guy and say that I've been here with you the whole time. That's what he wants from us. It's since the garden, he wants a relationship with us. But we get so caught up in our world, we're just like, okay, it's just when I need God. It's just when I need God. It's circumstantial Christianity. Number six, lukewarm Christians will give whenever it is convenient. We're not just talking about finances here. It's a part of it, time, energy. But we'll give, lukewarm Christians will give when it's convenient. So we think things like, man, I'll give one if it makes maybe me look good and people can see that I'm giving to the church or to my friends. Or I'll give if it doesn't mess up my life anyway, if, if my finances are okay or if it, it doesn't change my life. I'll, I'll give, I'll serve, or, or I'll give, but don't push me. Because the church is just interested in money. Why do you always want my money? I don't want your money. And the church doesn't want your money because the church doesn't need your money. God, it's God's money. He gave it to you. The book of James says every good and perfect gift is from God above. And so we get in this habit of a lukewarm Christian saying it's my money, it's my food, it's my car, it's my house, it's my friends, it's my girlfriend, it's my family. But a, but a follower of Christ says it is God's money and God's house and God's time and God's energy and God's opportunities and the family God placed you in and the friends that God gave you. But we get in this me, 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 this habit in lukewarm Christianity, and then we're like, man, I'll just, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I trust God. Seth's going to talk about that next week, but I just, just want to give when it's easy. I want to give when it's convenient. And God's like, that's not ever what I wanted for you. Number seven, last one. Lukewarm Christians, honestly, they're not much different than the rest of the world. They're honestly not much different than the rest of the world. 
And so if you think of, a, if you think of myself and the times I've been lukewarm, we look at just someone in the world or maybe a non-believer and we think, say the same things, act the same way, react the same way, watch the same things, listen to the same songs. Dress the same way, believe what culture says. If morals go this way, then I'm going with their morals. Oh, people get divorced, that's okay. Things aren't going well, we should probably just get divorced because that's what the world does. And, it, and it's like, God's like, I never intended you to be like the world. Or, or I'll follow God, but I don't want to do things for him. I want enough of God to, to get me into heaven to get me out of hell, but I don't want to go after that in me. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to do too much, but I, I want the eternity card. That sounds awesome. I, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be challenged. And Jesus calls this kind of person lukewarm, and he can't take it. It's just, it like hurts his heart. It grieves God. It's like, this is not what I intended. This is not what I want from you. Okay, I know it's heavy in here. I would dance, but I don't know how to dance, and then I'd make you laugh, so it'd be embarrassing. So, okay. The reason why I can talk about this so confidently and so passionately and be so direct with y'all, it's because I've struggled with this so much. Because I can name you time after time after time after time, even as a pastor. You're a pastor and you, yes, I mean, you're a pastor. And you struggle with being lukewarm? Yes, I struggle with being lukewarm. That's why I can speak so passionately. That's why I can speak so boldly to y'all. It's not just something I research and I'm like, all right, Elevation, this is where y'all are. No, 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 it's like, Amir, you have to constantly remind yourself that you can be lukewarm at times. And you get blessed to lead a group of amazing young adults. And if you're being lukewarm, how do you think they see you? That's what I struggle with daily. And so let me tell you some of my story, just, just to help relay. Okay, so I didn't grow up in church, so I came to Conway to UCA. I tried to play soccer. I tried to walk on it. I didn't make it. That was fun. So see ya, soccer. That was great. All right, God, come in now because I need help. I'm crying in my room by myself. I don't know anyone. I'm not, I thought Arkansas was Missouri. I thought you go through Tulsa to get to Arkansas. Nope, that's Missouri. I was in trouble from day one. Uh, and so I, someone invited me to a student ministry. I started going. I'd never really been to church. I was like, this is awesome. It was my best friend who played soccer. He was really good. He was a year older than me. Uh, from my hometown, and so I started going, and I got involved with a small group, and I was like, this is awesome. I got a Bible, and I started reading my Bible, and I just remember going to church or going to ministry, and I remember, but I, I would always do things for other people. I would make sure I didn't miss a service so other people knew I was there. I'd make sure I was in small group, and I read before small group so I can share, and not share about what God's teaching me, but I felt cool when I could be in the Christian crowd because I, hadn't, I didn't know what I was doing, and I had never done that before. So I was very lukewarm. But the cool thing is God led me to this, to this camp. And I worked at this camp for four summers in northwest Arkansas. And uh, God really changed my life. But the first summer, I remember meeting all these other counselors my age and even older, college students and young adults. And I remember thinking, man, they are so different than me. They're on fire for God. They're excited about God. And I'm not talking about they're perfect, guys. They have the same struggles I did. They have the same family stuff as I did. But, like, they love their kids. They serve their kids. And I was struggling to do it all. And I remember by the end of the summer, I was like, I don't understand. I'm, like, missing it here. I'm very lukewarm. And it came to my friends told me, hey, man, Amir, you don't work for your relationship with God. You're saved by grace, not by works. It's a gift from God. And so I thought I was a Christian. Guys, I wasn't even a Christian for two years, going to church, going to small group, and I never surrendered my life to Jesus. And I was challenged why I didn't have a connection with God because I was living a lukewarm life, and I wondered why the God didn't want to spend time with me because I never gave my life over to him. That's why. So then I come back to UCA, and I was a junior, and I was excited. I was on fire. I started telling people, I'm a Christian now for real. I swear, I've been coming to church, but now it's for real. I promise I'm, I'm a Christian. Help me. Okay, so, and I was hanging out. Well, I got super involved on campus. Me and my friends used to get crazy at Athlete. we get painted. we make fun of people. It's awesome. I still yell at games, and people get embarrassed because now I'm a pastor, but it's awesome. Hendrick's first football game is going to be great. So, uh, and I, I got really involved on campus. 
And so I started getting involved in organizations. I got in Greek life. I, I got involved in all these different things, and, and it was awesome. I got to serve people on campus. But then it got where that was the most important thing in life to me. And not that being involved on campus or being involved with your work's not bad, but that took priority with my relationship with God. And I stopped going to church. I stopped going to ministry. I stopped going to small group. I stopped even really doing my homework. YOLO, I was just hanging out, and I was really enjoying being involved with in these ministries. And what happened? I was back to being lukewarm again. And then there was about a year and a half, guys, where I didn't do anything for God. I didn't live for God. I would say I was a Christian, but I was far from God. Six years ago, my best friend invited me to Elevation. And he said, hey, man, and my best friend, he was my pledge brother. He grew up in a non-Christian home. His dad's foreign, like my dad. So we grew up in the same way. He's like, man, I've been going to Elevation. I've been growing my relationship with God. I think you should come. Sure. So I came, and I remember I rededicated my life to God. And I said, God, no more lukewarm. We're going to do it right. And I would, this sanctuary never used to be this big. It was like almost in the middle of the room. That's where the wall used to be. We expanded. And I would sit in the very back back there by myself because I knew I used to go to church for other people when I couldn't do it now. I knew that all my friends were here, but I wasn't here for them. So I'd sit in the back, and it'd be super awkward, and the pastor would always stare at me. He's like, why are you back there? And I'm like, I don't want to be. And I got nervous. And so, But I knew for me that's something I had to do. I'm just giving you all examples because I was in the same place as these qualities are saying, and I'm your pastor. And now I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a little over a year. Oh, let me say this. This is an important one. Because let me speak to the college students for a second. You know when people say college is the time of your life and it'll end and they're like melodramatic and you're like, okay, dad, you're 55, shut it. It's okay, we get it. And the 40s were cool. You know, it's like, sorry, my dad's that old, but uh, not the 40s didn't go to college. That's weird. Okay, he's 100 years old. So, uh, no. They say that because when I went to grad school, and I know you're not out of school, but I was in grad school, and you step into young adulthood and young adults will know what I'm talking about. Your life just changes. You didn't do anything wrong. Nothing bad happens, but your friends leave Conway. And some go to work, some get married, some have kids. Some of my best friends still live in Little Rock, and it's the hardest thing in the world for me to hang out with them once in three months. It's just a different season of life. You go from having class and being around all your friends and community to just going to work, and you have new friends, but you don't get to see your friends as much as you like. You have to be way more intentional with friendship. But that's just a part of life. You grow up. If, if you're young at all, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's just different. And my, one of my biggest regrets in life, just to be really real with you all, is God had blessed me with so much influence on UCA's campus. And I know this now out of humility. I'm not saying this out of pride. And I never use any of it for God. I never invited someone to Elevation. I never invited someone to my small group. I never talked about God. And I was involved in eight different things and knew all these people and got to do all this stuff at the football games. And I never talked about God at all. And it was the biggest regret of my life. But how many know God's cool? God's a God of and one. God's a God of second chances. And now I get to be a college and young adult pastor and talk to college students and talk to young adults. And now I get to use this influence to talk about God again. So if you're challenged and you feel like you've missed a good thing, you're in a good place because God gives us second chances, right? But even as a pastor, guys, last year I'd be sermon prepping and it'd be the only time I got in the word in a month. And I would be back to lukewarm. And so I'm just trying to connect with you guys and relate so you don't feel like I'm barking down your throat. And I, you know, like, well, what, Amir, what does all this have to mean? And it's like, this can be really challenging. Let me tell you this. You might be sitting in your chair right now and you might be like, man, I, I just sense something. I mean, I, I know it's kind of heavy or I'm kind of challenged by this. You got to know this, like, that's God drawing you into him. There's two C words that people get in, in the wrong order. It depends on the church they grew up. Conviction is from the Lord. The Spirit of God will draw you in subtly and out of love, and he'll say, come back to me. Oh, you messed up. Oh, you've struggled with this. Great. Well, come back to me. I'm knocking on the door. Come back to me. Condemnation is from the enemy. He's saying, get away. You're not worthy of God. You messed up. You need to get away. That's not God. So if you're sensing something like that, if you're sensing something negative, let me encourage you, that's not the Lord. 
The Lord doesn't push you away. Even when you're dirty as dirty, he says, come to me, I'll make you clean. That's the encouraging part of all this. So if you're challenged right now, just like I am speaking to y'all, you're in a good place, but the Lord wants to bring you in. Hey, you know when he brings you in, he wants you to come as you are. You can be dirty, you can be clean, and, but the cool thing about God is he doesn't want you to change, he doesn't want you to get fixed up, he doesn't want you to do anything, but he's, he'll never leave you in that place. That's what's cool about God. So if you're in this room, you're like, man, Amir, this is challenging. It's okay, let's get to the hope. Verse 20, you were like, Amir, what do I do? Verse 20 says this, Jesus said, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. He's knocking, he's knocking. I know you've been challenged. I know you've been lukewarm. I know you've turned your back to me. I know it's complacent, but I'm knocking at the door. Will you open it? And he's knocking because he initiates the pursuit. We just have to respond to the pursuit. If you ever have quiet time and you go to hang out with God and you're like, your guys are not there. No, no, he already initiated it. You just have to respond to it. And so he's saying, let not just come in. But when he comes in, you just come as you are. We think so many times we have to get right. Or I mean, I'll go back to church. If I had a dollar every time in college, someone said, I'll go to church, but after church, when I, after college, when I graduate, and I, then I'll get things right, then I'll start coming to church. I'm like, well, that's the opposite of the gospel. That's the opposite of what Jesus wants. Because he's the only perfect one. And he died on a cross for us so we can be connected to him forever. That's what's cool about Jesus. And so if you're in this room and you're like, I don't understand, I mean, what, what do I do? I, I, I resonate with some of this lukewarm stuff I'm trying to figure out. You just gotta let him in the door. You just let him in. He's knocking. Scripture says you hear his voice, you just let him in. He'll come and eat with you, metaphorically speaking. Hello, we hungry. And he's gonna hang out with you and be in relationship with you. That's all you have to do. It's that simple, it's that simple. Two weeks ago we talked about how do we stay, we just gotta stay connected to Jesus. It's that simple, yeah, it's that simple. We just make it way harder than it is in our life. It always comes back to relationship. But some of y'all are believers in Christ. And you're like, Amir, I've opened the door. I've said yes to God. Whether it was 20 years ago, one year ago, five years ago, I don't care. I've said yes to God, Amir. But some of the stuff you're saying, I, I think I'm pretty comfortable. I think I've been complacent. I, I think I've been lukewarm. What, what do I do? What, what do I do with this word? What, what do I do? I, I, this is challenging. God's bringing me, but what do I do? Imagine this visual. I don't, some of y'all are parents. We have parents in Elevation, it makes my heart so happy. Some of you are parents or some of y'all have younger siblings or when you were little, when your dad came in or someone older, an authority figure, your mom in your life, what would you do? What does a little kid do? They run to them, right? I see it with my friends, who, pastor friends who have kids, they run to them, dad, mom, and they jump in their arms. They opened the door, the parent, they walked in and the kid simply pursued them. And he ran right at them or she ran right at them and said, I want you, I need you. And he jumps in his arms. That's the same thing. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a Christian, you're saying, but Amir, I, I've been lukewarm, I haven't challenged, what do I do? You just run to God. You just pursue God. He's knocked the door, he's opened the door, and he just wants to be connected to you. The scripture says, when you seek me, you will find me. It's a promise from God every time. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, I haven't left the room. You think I left the room, I've never left. But come as you are too. And we're gonna reconnect and spend some time together. You just have to run to him. Because this is the cool part. Let me give you the hope side of all these seven things. When you're connected to God, when you run to God, or when you open that door, maybe for the first time, or maybe you need to reopen the door like I did, you don't crave acceptance from the world anymore. You crave time for God. You crave his word. I know that doesn't make sense. Like you literally, if you haven't prayed or spent time with God, you feel weird, you feel off. You like crave time with God. You share your faith all the time. 
because what he's done in your life and how you've overcome stuff and how he's forgiven your sins and the hope you have, the purpose you have, you can't shut up about. You start sharing your faith. And again, I don't mean in a weird way. I mean with the people closest to you. You don't rationalize your sins. You confess them. Because in 1 John, Scripture says, if you confess to me, I'll forgive you. And if you confess to another, the book of James, you'll be healed in Jesus' name. You don't rationalize them. You don't hide your sins. You confess them quickly because God's promised you. He says, I'll cast them as far as the east is to the west. Why would we rationalize our sins then? Every time, Amir? Every time. He forgives you. We don't rejoice and get, uh, we rejoice about heaven. We don't get scared about earth because we're so excited about the next step, but we're going to enjoy our time here. But God's got a plan for us elsewhere. We're going to spend eternity with him. We're going to be worshiped with him and we're going to have glorified bodies. I'm going to finally have a six pack and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and we don't spend time with God out of obligation, but we spend time as a lifestyle. When we call upon him, when we need him, he's there. But when we don't need him, we just want to love him, he's there. He wants to spend time with us all the time. When you realize God's given you gifts and they're all from God that you want to give freely and you want to do things to advance the kingdom, whether that's financially or that's serving, whether that's helping a brother out, whatever it is, you're not so caught up in holding things tied to you. You just want to give because the giver of the gift is so good and he's given us so much. And the seventh one, you're transformed. Scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a light on a hill. You're salt of the earth and you're set apart from the world. But then the cool thing is, once you're set apart, God sends you back in there to be a light for the world. Not to, he says, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I need you to be in there because I need you to be light for me. I need you to bring hope to dark places. I need you to encourage people that are fallen. I need you to show people how once you were in darkness, but now you're in light. I need you to share that with other people. But we are looked set apart from the rest of the world. So in closing, I'll say this. Tragically in our world, and I really think in our generation, maybe more than anyone, this, this, this thought of lukewarm Christianity is a real thing. It, it's not just something, I think y'all can all resonate either within your life or you know somebody or even with my story. But if we know who God is and what he's done for us and we begin to grow in that, and we know that Jesus came to this earth to die for us so we can always be connected to him and all he wants is just our life back and spend time with him daily. Guys, it's gonna get to a point where we have to make a decision. The ball's on our court. And let me tell you something about our ministry. That's where Find Your Place comes in. Because once you make that decision, we want to be a ministry that has your back. We want to be a ministry that equips you for the future. We want to be a ministry that uh, uh, gets you ready for adulthood and, and, and young adulthood and whatever that looks like. We want to be a ministry that helps you grow in your relationship with God. So once you said yes, we want to be a ministry that fights with you so you never will be lukewarm. We want you to get involved with groups because you want to have people that pray for you and encourage you and have your back and believe in you, but also challenge you and sharpen you and call you out and don't let you rationalize sins because you're better than that and they know you're better than that and they love you. That's what Find Your Place is. We want you to be involved with biblical community that people are not going to talk behind your back, but they're going to have your back. We want you to serve in the church because the church is the hope, the hope of the world is the local church. And I'm not talking about the four walls. I'm talking about the people in the walls with the spirit of God inside of them. You guys are the hope of the world. If you watch CNN, it's the dumbest, craziest stuff I've ever seen. But we're the hope of the world because it's Christ inside of us. That's why. That's why we talk about finding your place so much. We just want to be a ministry that has your back in that. And we, I just want to fight and never have that issue of lukewarm Christianity ever again. But we're going to do it together. We're going to do it one day at a time. And we're going to walk in the purpose that God died for us. Can I get an amen?